I'm not sure that I discovered, but I let out the part of me that loves to communicate with people. The part of me that likes to talk with people and learn stuff about people, places, things, what they do, and incorporate some of the wisdom that they have that I may not have even thought of. And that's the beauty of the minds coming together. And in radio, it is minds working with minds. There's no physical interaction. There's no, I see you, you see me. And there's triggers, there's things that happen that are just kismet. Oh, wow, you did that? Or I never thought about that. That's very interesting. Isn't that the beauty of the whole game? I mean, you never know what you're gonna come across on a golf course with the people. And you find out things about yourself too in the game of golf. Like, God, give yourself a break. Welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the entrepreneurs, innovators, disruptors, and influencers who are shaping the future of golf. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and before we get started on our latest episode here, I want to take a moment to welcome our new presenting partner, InRange Golf. InRange is an award-winning driving range technology company that is creating a new standard in off-course player experiences and revolutionizing business success for range owners. If you're a golf facility operator looking to enhance your digital gaming experience and increase revenue, Check them out at www.inrangegolf.com. All right, for this week's show. So this is a lady that I've known for a few years now. She was kind enough to give us some media exposure back, gosh, eight years ago when no one else even knew what we were doing with our first golf venture. And we've connected ever since then. And that is Daniel Tucker, who is based in Honolulu, Hawaii, on Oahu. And she is the owner, producer, and host of the Golf Club Live radio show, which celebrated its 25th anniversary last year, which bends my mind because how does someone start doing something like that when they're only seven years old, Danielle? is like, the years don't add up. How does this work? It's amazing. So with that, Danielle, great to hear and see you again. And welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much, Colin, for having me on. My pleasure, too. So I know you and I, we've been back and forth for weeks and our schedules haven't lined up, but I appreciate the fact that you've managed to, to squeeze us in here today because what I know about your story is amazing. And I'm sure you've got many more stories that you're going to share with us here today. But to get started here, why don't you let our listeners of the Mod Golf Podcast know about what you do on a weekly basis with the Golf Club Live Radio Show? Oh, goodness. Well, you know, I have a job that I go to Monday through Friday. Yes. <laughs> and then I have my golf show. And my golf show is something that I put together as breaking news happens and as I'm inspired to get in touch with someone or I need to do a lesson segment. So I find someone, a PGA or someone who's not a PGA someone who is inspiring. And I get different takes from people by bringing them into the show, all the different instructors, mental coaches, and equipment people, the people who have designed clubs, the people who have really interesting ideas, and maybe don't even work sometimes. They're the real entrepreneurs. They're yes, out there yes. cobbling together stuff that they think is the best deal that could possibly happen in the world of golf. And so many times they just don't find the niche to get into it. But I just admire the fact that they've tried. So I want to give everybody a platform. Somebody has that much courage to do an unheard of. You're not Callaway. You're not Titleist. You're not Bettinardi. You're just a person in a garage making something. And sometimes it really hits. 
but more often than not, it doesn't. But still, yeah, that person is valuable. So I like talking to everybody. Yeah, and I and you've really inspired me over the years of what I've created with the Mod Golf Podcast. And once again, you've given us our first shot as I touched on when our first golf venture back in the day when we weren't even in the golf industry and beyond. We've learned so much. And looking back, we didn't know what the heck we were doing. We didn't know how the golf industry worked at all. And you were just so kind and gracious with Rip Links, the event we were created there, which was very early in the game. There was no top golf at the time. So it was kind of like from zero to like what the what looking back, it was very early, but you were very curious and you gave us that platform and some space on your show, which I am to this day, I, I want to express my gratitude for that. So I want to go back a little farther in time now, sure. even before 25 plus years ago of the launch of the Golf Club Radio Show and what you were doing, you got the courage and the opportunity and all that, that came together because I'm just fascinated to learn that. But I always like to start with this icebreaker question as it relates to golf. So yourself personally, I know you golf. So when did you first pick up a golf club? When were you introduced to the game and who provided that power of invitation? Who invited you that first time for your first golf experience? And when did that happen? And how old were you? Nothing novel here. Nothing novel. I was about 10. It was my father. Probably eight out of 10 people must say it was dad who introduced them to the game. But I was terrified of disappointing him. I did not have fun. And if I may extrapolate on that topic, to me, doing anything in life, you've got to have a measure of fun. Otherwise, why bother? If it's going to be drudgery, then there's no point. And I brought this up on my show 22 years ago. And some fellow said to me, golf's not fun. Golf is serious business. I'm like, Mm. okay, I guess that didn't ring true for this gentleman. Right. And I tried not to take offense because he said it in such a way as to dismiss me from the entire universe of golfdom. And I found that over the years, more and more times is fun attached to the name golf. And I'm so happy with that. My dad was trying to calm me down. I couldn't hit the ball and they were waiting and he goes, just pick up the ball. Danny, just pick up the ball. I said, dad, I can do this. I can do this. (laughs) I always wanted to impress my father. He was my hero. He was my guy. And he was from England. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he immigrated from England to the States. So he had the whole English thing going on, more relaxed and the accent. And he would go out playing golf with his customers. He worked for Crown Zellerback in Michigan, one of his second stops on the route. And I think I was born in New York City, New York, which is the first stop. And then they went westward ho. My mother was a U.S. citizen. And yeah, he was the guy that I was in love with. I told him once when I was five, I want to marry you, Dad. And he's like, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) He was so embarrassed. It was so cute. Yeah, maybe that's legal in England, but I don't yeah. think that's legal, legal legal in the States. No, I don't think that flies. Not too well. Not no, too well. no, I don't think it's legal in England. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it is. Okay, yeah, well, let's no. let's not go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. Let's pull, pull back out of that for a second no, here. As a little girl, you know, that's it, all. Yeah, of course, of course. So obviously you, you wanted to please dad first, but obviously you fell in love with the game and it was the fun aspect, just like everything I love to do with golf and what we do with our golf ventures. And what I talk about a lot with uh, on the podcast too is fun as compared to that gentleman that you talked to that made playing a round of golf more like going to the dentist, right? It's just something you need to endure and persevere, which is a terrible way to spend your recreational time. 
I can't relate to that either. Yeah, no, that's, one that's must hard. study very hard. Granted, if you're going to be a professional golfer, you're going to have to put your whole being into it. That's a job. You put your being into your job. But if I'm going to go and recreate on a golf course, I love that word. I never thought yes. I'd use it. Recreate on a golf course. Then I want to have fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, I want to play well. And last couple of days, I haven't played very well. And that's okay, because I haven't been practicing as much. And I put the work in and try to get better. But, you know, the main thing is, as we know, with golf, you know, even if you're in a cart, you still get 10,000 steps in, and if not more, and you're there with friends, it's community, it's all those things that also... I know we're going way off topic already, but even I've been doing a lot of uh, research and conversations about longevity and had people on the show about how golf for people, especially as they, they get a little bit older and still play golf, how on average, I think it's like five to eight years more that people that play golf on a regular basis uh, as compared to people that don't as far as how long they live. Like that's, that's It's there. The, the number's there. number's sure. there. Okay. If, Colin, if I may, having fun is when you're playing well. 100%. I want to have fun, which means I want to play well. If I don't play well, I'm going to still enjoy my surroundings because there's nothing like being on a golf course. I agree. Yes. On Saturday, when I uh, was uh, in the greenside bunker on a par five and three, and next thing I know, I'm writing a nine down on my card. I wouldn't call <laughs> the next tee box as being, I wouldn't say fun. No. <laughs> but I also then took a deep breath. I just looked up and it's like, I'm in Vancouver. It's beautiful here. Life's pretty darn good. You know what? First world problem. I took a nine. I took a quad, right? It's like, okay. And then I added a birdie in the next hole. So like, yeah. life got better. Life got better. Okay. So that was your start in golf. And obviously with New York and being in the continental US, how did you end up in Hawaii? <laughs> well, my father came from England to the States, meeting my mother in Europe. And then they traveled, and his mother was very attached to her sons. He was the eldest, so she wanted to go to the States. And she came from England through Canada into Michigan, where my sister was born. Okay. And ever westward we went, we ended up in California, the Strand, Redondo, then things kind of changed in life. I ended up living in Europe for four years. Okay. It was Switzerland, mainly. I spent the summer of 69, dare I say that? The summer of 69 in London. It was an amazing summer vacation. My aunt lived there. And of course, the Rolling Stones and the Beatles and Carnaby Street, all of it was something. So then my mother wanted to come back to the States. Okay. My grandmother had gotten all the way from Michigan to Hawaii, huh. and my mother and father had divorced. So my mom said, let's go to Hawaii. Lily lives there. Okay. So we got on the Leonardo da Vinci in London. We sailed through the Panama Canal after stopping in several lovely little ports of call in the Atlantic Ocean, and then we went up to Seattle and down the Straits, which was crazy. It was the roughest sea I'd ever been in. We saw the rising of the islands as we were the horizon. You know, they if you're on a ship, if you ever come here, sailing is the most incredible experience because they seem to come up out of the ocean as you come closer. Right. It's amazing. It's beautiful. You see the peaks of the mountains. And I've been here ever since. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that, 
that is an amazing story. Okay. Yeah. Wow. By yeah. boat. I'm sure that you're, you're definitely the exception of the rule of how, how you end up in Hawaii. But you got to remember, though, on a big ship, you can actually pack everything back in the, the day. Anything you owned could go on that ship with you at no extra charge. Because in those days, England was trying to get people to emigrate to Australia. Right. So part of the lure was, hey, cheap travel, and you can take everything you own, no problem, and we'll get you to Australia. So we didn't have to pay anything for all of our stuff to be on the ship. So party for three weeks. Dang. Wow, that's <laughs> that's something. So okay, so you ended ended up in Hawaii. I understand you actually then went to university there. So obviously you you built a life around that. Yes. And studying media and communications. So your dad got you into golf, but now yes. you're there with your mom. So I'm curious, it's kind of a two-prong question. How did you then get into broadcasting on the island? And also then how did you reinvigorate your connection and love for golf? Golf, while I was in University of Hawaii, it was not on my radar. Mm. I immersed myself completely into studying. I took a major in communications and a minor in journalism I focused on communication, and then when I realized news is really important to me, I had this idea that if I could help people understand each other, we'd have fewer wars. So if you understand that we're all human, we all want our kids to have food and clothes and a nice education and a home and all of that stuff, right? That's all we want, really. Mm -hmm. And and everybody to be relatively healthy or at least have health care access to it. That's the bottom line in life. So if maybe we could stop all this conflict, because, of course, I grew up during the Vietnam War, there was a lot of pain and anguish in that in my teen and going on years. I took five years, but I had like almost a double major. And I was an intern at a local TV station and I was an intern at a local radio station and I've got my loans to pay off. So I, I'm interning, I'm finishing my fifth year. I work seven days a week, nonstop. I was running from one place to another. And then it hit me because I was also working at UH Manoa in the admissions and records office to help other students do their forms and stuff. Okay. So you shouldn't get me started on these things. <laughs> but you come to a point where you say, oh my God, I'm not going to be able to work in the admissions and records office. I'm interning over here. I need to make money. Right. I'm going to need money because school's ending and I'm going to be out of the grant and aid world and I'm going to need to have a job to pay back that loan. I didn't ask the key question. I thought I wanted to be in TV. All right. But radio offered me a job. And I didn't go to the news director in TV. And this is the big point for any children listening, for any adult listening, never worry or think that they won't want you. Walk Mm. in that office and say, hey, I've got this offer here, but I'd really like to be there. Any chance? Maybe future? So anyway, I'm in radio for 30 long time. Long time. (laughs) Yeah. Three, Three decades you've been at it. And over 25 years, you said, so if my math's correct. 1997-ish or so was when the formation or the first golf coverage you did. So let's let's talk about this now. So yourself at the time, there was almost no women involved in golf, in the golf industry. There's still not enough now, even though it's getting better. So you're really in this position where no women are covering golf. 
So I really want to hear this story of what your pitch was to who or what opportunity opened up at a tournament or what, how that happened. What was the first thing that happened that was kind of that kernel or that gestation that the first thing that got the golf club radio show off the ground even before it even existed how did it all start a friend of mine thought it would be a good idea to do a golf show because he was also instrumental in running the pacific golf academy okay it was one of the first simulator things that you could go in and hit balls and it would tell you X, Y, and Z, right? Yes. So if someone came to him and said from a radio station, I want you to advertise your place on our radio station. He said, no, how about we do a, a show? Right. He came to me and he said, would you be the host of the golf show? And I'm like, host of the what? I mean, <laughs> I'm in news, right? I mean, right. Yeah. I play golf very infrequently because right. I've been immersed in studies. I was the news director yeah, at, the, yeah. at the radio station. I was the public affairs director. And then I'm in TV at the same time. So I was scared. He said, you can do this. You Look at what you do already. I'm like, yeah, but the subject matter, I don't have the, don't worry about it. So I got into the studio for the first time I had all these ideas for what I was going to talk about. And I panicked. And I went, what if the person doesn't show up? Oh, my <laughs> God, I'm live on the radio. And I've lost a guest. And I don't know that much about the topics anyway. <laughs> I had a list of golf courses. And I called them. Every, Do you got any tee times available? Do you got any tee times available? I wrote them all down because I figured if nothing else I could be the reader of tea times. There we go. You were the you were the original golf now, were you? you were... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what out of panic comes, you know, whatever. So I still yeah. do tea times, but they're not. I, I don't I, worry about it too much. I know you still do tea times. So that was a oh, lot. That's there you go. Out of panic comes ingenuity or something. Yeah, there you like go. That. Maybe that's the name. Of, that's, maybe that's the name of this podcast episode. Maybe. <laughs> panic breeds ingenuity. Maybe, maybe that'll work. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. So who was the first guest you ever interviewed? I ever? don't even remember right now. Don't even remember because it's been a few thousand between now and then, hasn't it? Yeah, every Saturday. Every Saturday, missed, yep. Yeah, I have, and if I'm not live, it's a best of show. And we maybe run a best of show twice a year. So you just That's keep it. on cranking. Yeah. So once this got going and got some traction, and you do, this is kind of like your side hustle with a full-time job. It's been your, your quarter century side hustle. Maybe that's the name of your podcast, the quarter century side hustle. There you go. That's got like, a bit of a ring to it. Yeah. Not bad. Not bad. We are now going to take a short break to hear about our episode presenting partner, InRange. So what is InRange? Well, InRange is a radar-based ball tracking company that enhances the driving range experience by offering the most engaging gameplay and precise ball tracking on the market. InRange is the only driving range tracking business that truly offers something for every type of visitor. They have unparalleled practice software, which includes the world's first and only practice handicap, as well as golf games and courses for the more social player. They are also the only software in the world that offers a bay versus bay link-up feature, meaning large groups can play against one each other in teams right across the entire venue. To learn more about them, check out www.inrangegolf.com. 
that you obviously have a passion. You talked earlier, right at the top of the show here about having fun. And so you have fun doing this. I know you're like me, you're a curious person. You always want to learn and build community. So once you got going here, because there always is that dip or that peak in that trough that you kind of get burnt out or is like, that's oh, enough or do I still want to do this? But quarter century later, you're still cranking. And I, I hear it in your voice in your show when I listen that you're not mailing it in. You are there, you're present and you love it. So yeah. what did you discover about yourself in that first year about your connection to golf and then wanting to, to keep pursuing this, which you're doing to this day? I'm not sure that I discovered, but I let out. Uh, I let out the part of me that loves to communicate with people. The part of me that likes to talk with people and learn stuff about people, places, things, what they do, and incorporate some of the wisdom that they have that I may not have even thought of. Right. And that's the beauty of the minds coming together. And in radio, it is minds working with minds because mm -hmm. there's there's no physical interaction. There's no I see you, you see me. And there's triggers. There's things that happen that are just kismet. Oh, wow. You did that? Or I never thought about that. That's very interesting. And it doesn't always have about golf. It's sometimes something that they've done as an aside that came about because they were on a golf trip. Isn't that the beauty of the whole game? I mean, you never know what you're going to come across on a golf course with the people. And you find out things about yourself, too, in the game of golf. Like, God, give yourself a break. Absolutely. And that's, yeah. part, of, that's part of the magic that yeah. is the game, not just the actual 18 holes when you're out there trying right. to get a better score than what I managed to get this weekend. Yes. <laughs> Without question. Without question. And I've had Michael Breed on the show and I love the way he talked and he had this one saying is like, just because I hit a bad golf shot does not make me a bad person. Oh. And a lot of people out there where they hit a bad golf shot, especially men, self-deprecating, being so hard on themselves. It's like, you know what? Just a bad golf swing. It's okay. It's okay. You know, you're right. And there is a woman who is on the LPGA she said that she had to take some time away because if she played good, she was a good person. If she played bad, she was a bad person in her yes. own mind. Yeah. I mean, how do you deal with a whole week of feeling like you're a bad person because you played bad? That's yeah, just attaching <laughs> your self-worth to that. And it's, yeah. it's, it's really hard. When we were trying to jump on this uh, this session a couple of weeks ago, I was here in Vancouver. The LPGA rolled into town for the CPKC Canadian Women's Open, and I had some, the media pass to go down and cover that. I got to know Christina Kim, who Yo. now is like in the, the, near the end of her career, 38 years old, and she was there. And I had just saw her actually after round two. I was waiting for the shuttle bus. She pulls up in her rental vehicle, didn't think she was going to make the cut because she was right on the number, and it ended up going one lower. So she managed to get in for the next day. But even there, she was in great spirits. And she's someone she didn't even know. She's like, Do you want to ride? And this other person is like, I don't know. You, you need to ride too. And like, she's putting their, their stuff in the car. And like, you're a pretty awesome person. I didn't know much about Christina that time. And then I did a little research that night. And then I followed her around the next two days and got to know her and talk to her and want to have her on the podcast because she definitely suffered from that early in her career. And I don't know if you know the story with her just around mental health. And we talk about this on the podcast a lot that she 
she was on the brink of taking her own life 11 years ago, 12 years ago, and mm-hmm. where she is now as a human being and how she's moved forward and been an advocate and a spokesperson and telling her story. So someone like that, that's so bubbly on the course, and you just kind of see this big personality, but you never really know what's going on. But she said the exact same thing, is that I attached my self-worth as a human being to the number that I, I signed off on on that scorecard. Yeah, I get it. I mean, if I do a good report, I'm a good person. If I did a bad report, I'm stupid. It's how you sum it up yeah. in your self-reflection. It's gotten to the point where you don't do that anymore at some point. I think it's age. So <laughs> 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 like I don't have time for this much angst about yes. me. But I'm also not playing on a level that they're playing. You're traveling all the time, which is exhausting. And you're not ever making enough money really to make ends meet. So Mm -hmm. you're always looking for money to supplement this passion that you have. And good God, the fact that they are continuing to continue, my life is a breeze compared to what they deal with. Yeah, Yeah, it's finally getting a little bit better. It is. Unfortunately, it's not like with tennis or the US Open. I know with Billie Jean King, they just celebrated the 50th year of equal pay for equal play. And as we know with the LPGA, they're not even close to being there yet as compared to the men's side. And I know people talk about it. It's about supply and demand, not even supply and demand. It's more about, you know, what the sponsorship brings in and the business case for this. But hey, if it works for tennis, I don't see why it couldn't work for golf also. And, And definitely it needs to get better. As far as prize money, I know some women here, I looked at the numbers afterwards and a Canadian woman who tied for T28 only made like something like $8,500. For T28 of a tournament that's like one level lower than a major and respected that way. Like that's that's just not right as compared to you know, the money that's out there. No, it's not right at all. And it, it's kind of ludicrous that Aramco is making the biggest inroads into increasing the purses in the LET. So yes. LET has the Ramco series. Saudi money and everything's been talking about Saudi and live and PGA tour and PIF and it's just an interesting game right now. I it, could it, do without it. It really, part. yeah, f- yeah, fair enough. So, so I want to dig into this a little more. So yourself, 1997 of where uh-huh. women were in the golf industry, almost non-existent. Okay. And yes. Even though today uh-huh. it's it's getting better again, but it's not where it needs to be. I had a podcast episode with two women leaders in the game, and I called it Breaking the Grass Ceiling, which I thought I was being kind of clever there with that one. But this whole idea is still you hit this wall or the ceiling. So get as real as you want here as far as the roadblocks and the challenges that you faced as a woman, even early in the in the game, as someone being respected as a, someone in the golf industry and as a golf journalist. So just go for it. Tell uh, us about know, that experience. I'm lucky because I live Hawaii, hmm. right? So Hawaii gives you kind of an entree to a conversation that most people don't have. If I get in touch with someone and I ask them back then if they would be on my show that I'm based in Hawaii and it's a call-in show, they are curious. So I did not have any of the put-downs, people shutting the door on my face right away. I've also had a lot of experience in having the door shut on my face from jobs in the business of broadcasting, right. which is, if anything, worse when it comes to how they treat women. Mm. <laughs> it's a male-dominated world, radio is. Yeah, I think it still is. And I have such a um, good reputation in the world of radio that they respect me. It takes time. And I can't dwell on the jerks. 
that made me feel small and insignificant, unworthy and <laughs> unknowing. There comes a point where you just have to say, he don't know much, does he? And cut them out of your life. That's the biggest problem women have with this situation, with men feeling superior and thinking that they have the answers. They don't listen. It's just like, what did you say? Never mind. You know, you didn't even let me get in to conversation. So obviously it doesn't matter much to you. So don't ask me. And I'll say that. I'm at that place in life where you just go, I'm not going to spend my time trying to placate you so that you feel better about yourself having put me down. I'm just going to tell you, what are you bothering putting me down for? Does that make you feel better? Because I have nothing to lose. Yes. That's freedom. The amount of money that comes in for this show pays not me, nor the executive producer. It pays what we have to pay to be on the radio, what we have to pay to podcast, what we have to pay to store the shows. From that point of view, it's really hard to get funds to back you. I find it kind of unsettling because I think I have a really good guest list. (laughs) You do. You know, I have... Terrific people who call me from all parts of the world. And we have a blast talking. But I'm not on the inside of the golf world. I'm in Hawaii. It's a double-edged sword. Yes. It's good for entree, but you're not taken seriously if you're not in the oven. It's a good way to put it. Well, I could relate to that a little bit. Well, not from a gender perspective, but from a a locational perspective, that being in Vancouver and in Canada here and not being in the States, not being in Florida, not being in California, the more time I spend there, those are the hotspots where things happen. So even though now in modern times of being virtual and, you know, the speed of light that things can move at and information, not physically being there, it, it certainly has its upside, especially where you are. Well, even in Vancouver, it's beautiful here too. But definitely we're not at the epicenter of where the power center of golf, I guess you can say, is from the industry perspective that for you and I, we're kind of physically removed from that, which makes it a bit more challenging for us. Yeah. I've been lucky though, because the PGA of America, the PGA Tour, the LPGA, they're here frequently. Of course. And so when they come here, everybody comes. The president of the PGA of America and yes, he even comes. Yes. (laughs) The commissioner of the PGA Tour comes. (laughs) I've met all of these different players, albeit very quickly in some cases, but I've met them. I've been in the same media center with them. So that gave me an entree into the organizations. It gave me an entree into some of the guys that cover and girls that cover these events. Also being inside the media center and being able to hear their way they talk to the tour players. I have very few tour players on the show. How would mm-hmm. I? It's Saturday. <laughs> right. They're working. Unless they're really bad tour players and then they have Saturday off, right? But then they're not on the tour for very much longer. So, Yes. And with everything, there comes some good and there comes some. So I've been lucky because they come here and I get to meet them. Yes. I get to meet the press. And then on the other hand, I'm so far away, they don't care. Gotcha, um, gotcha. They don't you, think I'm important. Uh, well, I think you're important, and that's why oh. we're having a, having the conversation to continue to keep this relationship thriving. So interesting connection with what you mentioned, more of a kind of a challenging way with men or just people. Don't want to spend time around people that can't help each other or just aren't like-minded or have all those negative 
attributes. But on the other hand, with people that have very positive attributes, a gentleman that I met on your show listening and then through LinkedIn with Claude Brousseau over on Maui. Claude Brousseau. I had Claude on about a month or so ago after he was on your show. So tell us about your relationship with Claude, and it seems to me that you gravitate, like I do, towards positive energy to people that have that. And there's someone that I've met in golf in general. I've met so many amazing people, but there is a man that is just so lovely and has such positive, authentic energy, like the ever-ready bunny there. It's unbelievable. So so tell me about your relationship with Claude. Well, did you know that he was a nurse? Before I, he got into we golf. talked about that is on the podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that explains a lot about Claude Brousseau, mm-hmm. that he has a compassion and understanding of people. He can sense things in, that are going on with you that most people don't have the capacity for because they've never been in, in a situation where you have to feel somebody out to get them to come out of their shell to trust you. Right. Not a doctor. But a nurse gets that kind of attention. You feel like, oh, this is somebody who knows medicine, but isn't the doctor, because Mm -hmm. I don't want to talk to the doctor. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, he's just a wonderful person. And he's brilliant when it comes to thinking up different ways to capture a a mind and get them golf-specific. So he has these sayings. I wish I had them off the top of my head, but I don't. And he's got a wonderful book that does that. He's awesome because he deserves it. He does. He does. I will include in the show notes of our episode here, Danielle, I will include the link again to Claude's episode, which has all those good things you talked about because just the way he embraces life is pretty amazing. And it does sadden me right now, of course, the tragedy, the fires in Lanai that have happened over a month ago there and and, in Lahaina. Thank you. And him, of course, being uh, south of that in Wailea. But still, the island right now, from what I understand, is pretty much shut down. So I'm sure he's well, not doing too well, much. Let me let me rephrase that because everybody's freaking out that everyone thinks that Maui's closed because Maui is definitely not closed. Only the west side of Maui. Everybody else is open for business. They have no problems. There's a mountain range. Yes. It'd be like saying, because you're in California in the LA basin and you've just been hurricaned, that means the rest of California is not going to be shut. It's not. Come down into Lahaina, and it's the west side. It's just gorgeous. You go to Kapalua via that route, and they were cut off. No communication at all. Very, very difficult. Otherwise, everybody in Wailuku and uh, where you Kahului, where you fly in, All of those other resorts are wide open and they need help. Yes. Because a lot of people who lived in Lahaina worked in those resorts, Mm -hmm. right? And they don't have any jobs. So the economy has been wiped down to 30% of what it was. And 30%, that really is painful. Yes. So they, they really want people to go visit Maui. It's just Lahaina. You can't go see Lahaina because there's, I'm sorry, there's nothing to see. And if you were in Lahaina, you'd be gawking at people's distress. Yes. The people of Maui, the West Side, they don't want you staring at the ruins of their lives. Mm -hmm. Like it's some sort of catastrophe to be gawked at. One lady put it, she said, we haven't had time to mourn. Because even though it's been all the month, 
we've been filling out papers. We've been doing this. We've been doing that. We've been trying to figure out where we're going to eat, drink, sleep. The hotels are putting them up, but what are we going to do next? So all of this stuff is going on in their minds. So when it comes to mourning the loss of their neighbors, the loss of their home, their loss of every photo album they ever had, the loss of every priceless whatever, yeah. it's so sad because they have not had the time to actually mourn, but they're going to open up Lahaina soon. Wow. Like the West Side won't be much to see in Lahaina, but they'll no. let the people who live there come and see if they can find something in the rubble. You know, Sorry, you got me going on that. I'll that's okay. You. Right? No, it's tragic. And been to Maui a few times with my family a few years ago, and we we're just looking at pictures in Lahaina of us under the, as the family under the banyan tree there, which oh, I God. understand is going to survive. It's still which alive. Is just, I'm sure this has been looked at too. That this is this symbol now of how. Lahaina will come back is through the imagery of that banyan tree because that's yeah. uh, that's pretty amazing. It's over a hundred years old. Awesome. Roots go down deep, having a hard time getting sun. It has few leaves, but yeah. they're trying their best to take care of that. Our arborists are tending to the tree every day. Amazing. Yeah, amazing. it is amazing. Well, I hope with Cloud that uh, with his business, I know he's on the west side, but he's down like south of Kihei, down in Wailea there. I don't know if they've got still people coming through and access yes. because that, that's- Not as many as he'd like. Yeah. But because he, he had five guests a day and now he's got two. Right. Everybody's hurting. And that's why um, go- <laughs> well, I was go to Maui. When we recorded our podcast episode only a week before that tragedy in Lahaina happened, and he's encouraging me. Is like he can't wait to actually get a hold of me and my fourteen handicap and lousy short game. So, uh, <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that. So, here I just want to ask this last question as we, we we finish up here before we jump over on Zoom for a video conversation for our ModCalf YouTube channel. So we'll ask some different questions there, and I really encourage our listeners to become viewers over there, and I'll include that link as I always do in the in the show notes. So I just want to ask you this. Has Claude ever given you a lesson yet? I'm not sure. No, he, he has no. given me some pointers. Okay. But he hasn't given me a full-on lesson. But he's wonderful. You need to go see Claude Rousseau. He's a one-of-a-kind and a very kind person. And you don't feel like you don't know something. He's a, a just a regular person, but he happens to have this knowledge. Mm -hmm. And so you don't feel intimidated but he has this way about him the softness of his hands and the gentleness of his the stroke that he has you just watch him and yet it's firm i was talking to somebody about hands how do you get tiger woods hands that he can feel the club at the blade that's incredible to yes me. This is extension of your body. I wasn't given right? the secret yeah. except for a lot of practice. <laughs> yeah. I still have not unlocked that secret myself. So we'll see. We'll see if I can manage to do that. So, so hey, as we, we finish up here, why don't you let all of our listeners know where they can listen on Saturdays to your show, the Golf Club Radio Show. In Hawaii, we're on 101.1 FM. But there aren't that many people in Hawaii probably listening right now, but we're on 101.1 FM. We're also live streaming. So it's radiogolfclub.com with the slash listen gets you straight to the listen link. But you can just go to radiogolfclub.com. You'll see the banners at the top says listen, click there, and you can listen to the live stream or you can hear the podcast. 
So nice. it's really easy. And it's also a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Awesome. So as I always do, I will also include right at the top of the show notes there, the link to your show with a banner there. Make it nice and easy peasy for everyone here to connect with you. Yay. I know you're between all the hundred things that you do. You are active on LinkedIn or have your show promoted on there too. And yes. your guests are amazing. They're diverse. And it's not always just about golf. You have such this nice array. You do such a beautiful job of curating your guests every week that can tell you, you, you. A, lot of, a lot of effort into that because, yeah, every, every story is different and they all just feed into each other. So I highly recommend after you listen to the Mod Golf podcast, of course, everyone to, <laughs> to also listen to Daniel Tucker's The Golf Club radio show, which is Thank amazing. You. And I believe you've made the threat or promise, whatever you want to look at that, of having me back on your show oh, sometime. Yes, absolutely. You, you can squeeze me in if you have a, a cancellation or something comes up. Oh, no, no. We'll schedule it. There yeah. we go. Love that. Yeah. Why don't we leave it at that, Danielle? This has been so good. Thank you for finding the time. I know you've had a lot of plates spinning and balls in the air the last few weeks. Maybe that's just your life. It probably is. But appreciate you making the time with me today. It just seems to be like more intense. Have you had that experience in life where everything is going along and then all of a sudden this demands you, this demands you, this demands you. And you're like, what in the world happened? Everything was sort of just in order. And then all of a sudden it's like, bam, bam. Chaos is a more natural state, they say, than order is. Or order is something that humans try to impose on uh, oh. on our surroundings. And eventually uh, chaos chaos is very patient, I understand, too. It'll, it'll wait for us. Oh, well, not... then good. I just have to become <laughs> chaotic. There you go. So it's it's the, it's a natural state. So, uh, so just embrace it. Let it wash over you. You'll be fine. Colin be Weston, fine. thank you. You are welcome, Danielle. We'll talk soon. Yes. Bye for now. Aloha. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more compelling episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen in. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on our homepage to hear about upcoming episodes and to enter our latest golf product giveaway. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks very much for joining me. Bye for now.